Hi everyone, episode 6 of Errata X80750. Stepping into the docking bay, I came up short. Something was wrong. Very wrong. There was a kind of vibration in my head that only happened around other people. Someone was in the ship. Finally, a good use for the damn chip implanted in my brain. Who could jack a biomimetic neural back security system without cutting off my hand and my eye? Jesus. I opened the big doors and went in. The docking airlock was quiet. The cargo bay was empty. Command center had something. There was a cat lying on the floor, shivering. Her scales were a sickly green-gray. Z was small, maybe a juvenile, and missing the typical biosuit. It looked like Z had tried to tap Mariah's uplink. The sensors were partially extended from the pilot's chair, but the manual control bank was still lit. Evidently, Z had passed out before Z could get linked completely. It looked awful, starved, bloody, naked, and covered with tiny cuts and mottled bruising. No hair, pointed ears, scaled, slit pupil eyes, but still alive. I reached out to touch her. Z made some kind of moan and raised her hands feebly against me. Shit. Z was scared of humans. Someone must have abused the poor thing. That made a nice wave of hot anger rise up in me. The cats were special. I owed them. And no one should be hurting a child like this. What's Z doing so far from Cygnus? The radio, which I kept tuned to a random scan, belted out a 404 alert. The Peacekeeper channel and it barked out, attention all units, attention all units, unidentified commercial property, stolen or escaped, code 404. Oh man, thought, not another random search. Mariah, lockdown protocol 1 alpha. I put my arms under the little thing. It was so tiny. Z barely worried anything. Non-essential system shut down, standby power. Mariah didn't have a sick bay, as such. I'd converted the little medical lab into the algae lab to produce biofuel, but still I kept a table and bed in there with a closet of supplies. A rudimentary diagnostic AI lived there as well. I put the cattle in on the bed and started up the AI. A quick whir and the readout spat out starvation, dehydration, significant contusions, three broken ribs. Well, great. My own piddly medic skills would have to be enough for Zer. In went an IV, made difficult by Zer scales, tough little things, and I quickly wrapped her Zer ribs using the nice robot arms on the examination table and stood back to survey my work critically. I wasn't a great medic, but it was done, and Z did seem to be a little bit more comfortable. I got out some emergency rations, closed the door to the bay, and put one of the algae tanks in front of it in case we got inspected. I didn't want the service to know there was a cat anywhere here. At best, they'd quarantine it. At worst, they'd kill it. Not a lot of people were friendly to aliens, what with the outbreak rumors and sheer ignorance. I ran down to the residence quarters and pulled off my suit and chest plate, then put on the soft leggings and tunic that most spacers use shipside. Chaos had gotten from for me after I explained to Zer that I had no idea what to wear without a uniform. Zed thought that that was very amusing for some reason and had provided me with perfectly fitted clothing without me asking. The shirt goes over your head, fractal in motion, Z had teased with Zerliquity's voice. And you must wear shoes on your feet. I know what clothes are, I grumbled, looking through them. 
I'm not a complete savage. Oh, Z said with mock surprise. I thought you did not know how to dress yourself. Forgive me. I narrowed my eyes at Zer. You're teasing me, I said, finally noticing the soft pink of Zer's scales. Yes, because it is easy, Z said. I didn't know cats understood sarcasm. Another trill of amusement and the pink deepened. And I did not know you were such an expert on us, human. Perhaps you took a class when I wasn't looking. Oh, shut up. I had a little stab of homesickness for Zur. Everything felt better when I was around chaos. I shook the feeling off, grabbed a tablet, and went to sit in the pilot's chair. The best seat in the house. The external sensors on Mariah were fantastic, and she projected onto a lovely deep-set screen. High-res, just like looking out a window. Fine enough to see the pigs coming into the docking port, ready to bang on my hull. Gah, capers. Bullshit. Behold evil at its most banal. I tried to restrain my disgust. Peacekeeper 344, calling the Mariah. Mariah, please respond. I tapped the manual combo plate to see a very handsome, very young peacekeeper standing awkwardly in front of the viewer. He clutched at his blaster and kept fiddling with the safety. His whole posture screamed, new, rookie. This is Mariah. Go ahead, I said neutrally. No names. Move along, little man. Nothing to see here. Mariah, you have been selected for a health and welfare search under Commonwealth Authority 404. Please open your docking port and prepare for inspection. Good speech, I thought, and sighed. Peacekeeper 344, please stand by for docking entry. I looked around the cockpit one more time. There would be questions enough about why a human was flying a Catalan ship, much less why the human's identity paperwork was out of date, and why she didn't have any cargo, although she was registered as a freight carrier in a different system. Shit snacks. Maybe they would be so distracted hunting for a nasty, monstrous non-human that they could bludgeon into submission that they wouldn't notice any of those things. Fuck me. I live in hope. Please, please remember your new name, I reminded myself as I pushed the manual entrance override into the airlock. They were actually fairly polite. The kid, while obviously was brand new, shiny with that new despot smell, they had gotten pulled off of shore leave at the nearby moon to help with a manpower shortage at the station this morning, and they were pissed. These were all good things for me. The non-com with the kid obviously couldn't care less. He looked at my papers, made a note that I should get them updated at the nearest service base as soon as possible, and then promptly lost interest in me. We took the tour. I started off in the algae room. Quiet, thank goodness. Walked them through the residential area, where they did a cursory toss of my belongings. You know, pull apart a couple shelving units, toss around some clothes. But you could tell their heart wasn't in it. I applied some generic comments about how lame it was to get pulled off R&R, &R. they responded by complaining for 20 minutes, and they were off the ship. Win. Go team. The cat, however, was in rough shape. Z was shivering hard, which must have been agony on Zer's poor broken ribs. Zer's scales had deepened their gray-green color, and Z wouldn't wake up. I routed Kamo into the algae room wrapped the cat into a blanket, and waited with Zer. I kept the radio on, but switched it to a broad-spectrum entertainment channel instead of the local. I don't know why, but I suppose when you spend enough time by yourself, it's nice to hear someone else's voice. 
a couple of deep space stations came, can run on the subspace networks, and I listened to those whenever I could. People send messages, the DJ gave listeners news and updates on blockades, food shortages, and the like. It was my small attempt to have some vague connection to the outside universe. Most of the time, the scan just picked up number stations, random short codes and local commo that blended into a soft white noise under Mariah's deeper hum. But tonight, I could hear real people and music. I let my mind drift half asleep, attentive to the steady in and out of my patient on the small bed. It still hurt, losing the guild. I miss the work, I miss building things, being part of something. The thought of the service or even walking onto a drill base was enough to put me into a panic attack, but something in me craved it still. I miss the sounds, the way that the earth shook. I miss having a place and some measure of respect. Now what am I? Nothing. Just some nobody. Discounted. Ignored. A broken piece of junk. My only purpose had been the guild and the service, and I'd lost both. And the solitude was killing me. Maybe my jaw hurts all the time now from clamping down on myself, I thought. Always alone, trapped in my own head. The cat's breath hitched raggedly. I adjusted Zer blanket a little, smoothing my hand over her chest, and Z settled. The collar looked better, but poor thing. I placed my hand on Zer forehead and felt that odd dual perspective shift again. A little hint of, of something, something familiar, pulling me into Zer. I stopped breathing, felt spun down into the size of an atom. I was wearing Zer's skin and felt the heat of broken ribs, a bruised brain, and soul sickness like patches of hot mold, sick and spreading, through my skin, not skin. Wrong. It's all wrong. Somewhere deep in my brain, with a snick, I could feel something snap into place, something warm and cleansing, something that stretched my skin and shot through the cat. Light flooded through my, or, or maybe Zer's, eyes, and I could see patterns laid against our shared skin, what it should be, what it should look like. And in place of the moldy heat, I felt nothing but clean, warm smoothness, like warm ceramic, all healed. I opened my eyes and caught my breath in a partly muffled scream that wheezed out as a broken moan as I watched Zer wounds transfer to my own skin. <sighs> it hurts. I felt my own ribs break and remake themselves, felt my head split in a lightning migraine that healed even as it mirrored itself onto me. But Zer's skin was a brilliant golden color. Zer's breathing was steady. Z was sleeping deeply. Pleasure coiled up in me, displacing the last remnants of the pain. A deep contentment that soothed the scars on my soul and eased the referred pain to something manageable. Something just tired, not broken. I sat back and closed my eyes, but kept my hand wrapped around the cats. I couldn't tell if it was for Zer or for me. I loved my ship, loved her with an abiding passion that I'd never felt for a person or place. She was my home and my friend, the one stable and predictable thing in the whole universe. Alarms came on when she hurt. Her insides operated according to precise patterns that were controllable, manipulatable, governed by absolute laws of physics. She turned when I told her to, sped when I told her to, slept when I told her to. Her pump curves were smoothly efficient, her fusion reactor stable, and her algal beds consistent. 
The bioneural circuitry inlaid in the carbon nanostructures of her hull were perfectly compatible with my own. Or so I thought. She had been brought home by the Catalan, a broken, unwanted piece of junk. As one of the ships commandeered by the service, she'd had her guts ripped out and modified to allow for a human interface. They'd even tried to mount a weapon system into the bioneural HMI. The Catalan didn't know what to do with any of this and had tried stripping her for parts until it was more efficient to scrap her. And then Mac dropped me in their laps, and suddenly they had a buyer. Her navigational system was still fully dependent on a direct cortex link, and my special brain had no problem handling the additional sensory requirements. But something more had happened. When I fired her up for the first time, it was almost like we recognized each other. Two broken, unwanted freaks alone in the universe. Chaos had found her for me, but I don't think even Z realized how much she'd come to mean to me. I built her life support systems myself. Sometimes I shut off the lights and wandered the halls, running my fingers along her interior hull, feeling nothing but pure pleasure and thinking, mine, my freedom, my heart. I was in the control room. Mariah's interface consoles were built out of curved geometric patterns grown from biochitinous structures. They acted as oxygen scrubbers as well as structural controls. It felt like sitting in an old-growth forest at twilight, minus the trees, of course, as oxygen and carbon dioxide moved through the vascular structures like a giant leaf. There were no windows, but the viewing consoles were liquid crystal refractions built into the biostructure that imitated the human light sight spectrum almost perfectly, so the view was spectacular. I had the exterior sensors trained on the flight path to Hadar, and the black monitors filled up my vision. I could feel the ship breathing in and out with her modified gas exchangers and osmotic biosystems like my own lungs. In and out. Having Mariah was almost reward enough for deserting and running from my past like a coward. Days like today, I usually ended up here, staring at the monitors and wondering, what's the point? What am I even doing here? But always reveling in the sheer freedom of having my own ship, my own life. No obligatory service, no being sold from one assignment to another to pay off some monstrous imaginary debt. Nothing but me and the ship and freedom. I probably should feel ashamed of myself going from a first-class engineer to a second-hand independent courier pulling in barely enough to resupply between runs before a master of the universe, someone important, someone who could change the galaxy, and now? Just a smuck. What am I doing? Hal dinged. Message received from Alexis Johannesson. Accept? Alexis Johannesson, I thought. Who? Accept. To Zeta Smith from Alexis Johannesson. Zeta, honey, you ran off before I could get you some business. I just got a special request from an old friend of mine who needs a ride out of Hadar. Your flight pass shows you there in the next week or so, and he'd like to catch you at Orbital when you make your mail run. He's a good guy, loaded, needs passage back to Old Earth. Doesn't care what it costs, so I figured that might make you happy. I can promise you he won't murder you in your bed or leave you floating somewhere. He's quiet and likes to be left alone, so he's the next best thing to a freight pickup. If it's okay with you, I'll give him the go-ahead to find you at Orbital, and you can take a look at him to see if you can stand him for the Earth run. Also, I have a box at Cygnus that needs to go to Nightingale. It's freight, under medical code. Be a love and pick it up for me, won't you? It's from your old friends out at KIC 856-2852. Let me know. AJ. To Alexis Johansson. From Zeta Smith.
AJ, that sounds perfect. Tell your friend to be ready at orbital and easy on the luggage. I don't have that much room. I was going to KIC anyway. I don't know how you knew that, you sneak, but you caught me. So I'd be happy to stop by Cygnus and pick up your trinkets. Standard freight rates are okay for you, right? I know you're good for it. Z. I felt another presence in the room and quickly closed down the letter. The cat was wobbly and looked like Z was going to be sick. I sprang up as if to catch her. Zer, but Z waved me away. Z spouted something in waterfall, but without physical contact, I could only catch about one word out of twenty. I motioned abstractly to my head and reached out my hand. Z paused and then put Zer fingers in mine and tried again. Who? Z sent. A burst of confusing images of Daedalus and uniformed men, pain bitter like copper in my mouth as Z showed fear, unhappiness, while they drew blood and injected her with something. I saw Zer running and hiding. In response, I showed Zer the colliding images of the Mandelbrot set, shifting scaling values, and superimposed my physical image with the sensation of peace and comfort, welcome, just like chaos had taught me. My own, my own nature tasted like dark chocolate. My name is Fractal in Motion. You're on my ship. You're safe. We're headed to your people. I showed her a sparkling image of my star charts and Mariah's relative position and flight path. I have to make a couple stops first, but we are on our way to your home. Zer fingers tightened on mine. There was a fragmented burst of shouting, pain, fear, rage, loss as strangers ran over Zer's ship, hurt Zer and Zer parent, bound and bloody, and Z was put somewhere dark and lonely, all alone. The fear and the loss keened through Zer and bit like vinegar and nails scraping against concrete. A picture of Mariah with the thought, But this ship was stolen. This should not be yours. Then a plaintive cry, Home. I want to go home. The image Z sent me was an image of a water world, blue and green, smelling like honeysuckles in summertime and being held. Oh, poor thing. I have to get her to chaos. Z must have sensed pity and empathy because Z relaxed, but Z didn't let go of my hand. Z spoke slowly, carefully, muting down the waterfall of syllables so I could understand more, and accompanied the words with the mental images, slow and careful now, as if Z knew I needed to keep things simple to be able to process anything. You are fractal in motion, and this is an old Catalan ship. We're going home. An image of Zerself as an assistant pilot guiding us toward the water world. Another image of Zer younger, swimming, dancing in sunlight under an impossibly blue sea. A kaleidoscope of blue refraction on Zer's scales as Z raced and twisted under the water. You are speed in the deeps? A pilot? And you want to help? I thought at her. Yes. Assist. Make journey. Another image of us working together and reaching the world sooner. Yes. My Ilya was terrible, the words sounding more like staccato rain than a waterfall. Stop first, I tried. Then go. I sent an image of Hadar Orbital and of Nightingale Station, another image of getting supplies and picking up a passenger. I could taste their disappointment and impatience rough and strained in my head. Apologize. I sent a feeling of sorrow and empathy to know what it was like to be far from home and all alone and then showed Zer an image of beautiful chaos and Zer name signature. I have a friend. Z will help us. Z will know what to do, but Z is far away. 
The little cat's head drooped a little. I guess Z was tired out. Her scent, Zura scent, flowed into me. Then, you cannot speak without touch? Z shook our hands a little for emphasis. Cannot see without contact? Z sent an image of us being across the ship and unable to communicate. Yes, I said stilted. Only see to hand. I wish chaos was here. Z had an idea. I could feel it rumbling around in Zer like a gust of wind against a window, and suddenly a complex wall of sensory overload hit me. Z was standing over me, my head pulled to the side so Z could access the implant connected deep into my hippocampus and lower cortex. Z had removed several neural connections from the ship's navigational array and had grafted the assembly onto the interface on the surface of my skull, applying a small burst of gamma radiation. Z triggered a growth spurt for the neural net. The thing split once, twice, and buried itself into my skull along the grooved implant pathways, amplifying the navigational system connection. Z cut one of the split filaments, causing me to scream and thrash as if it had hurt, and then deftly split open Zer's own scalp at the junction of Zer's pointy ear and head scales. The filament buried itself inside her skin like a worm. Z threw me out of the vision. I rubbed my forehead, discomfited but appreciative of the efficiency. This will allow us to speak directly to each other, I asked her showing the same image of us across the ship, but this time able to communicate telepathically. Zer eyes narrowed. No. The next image was us, of us talking, some images passing from brain to brain, but language centers were stimulated for physical speaking. The navigational array calibrates physical experience and translate that into sensory response. It will calibrate our language so we can learn them both together. A complex burst as Z showed the fungus-like filament integrating electric shocks from neuron to neuron and passing those shocks through a constructed pattern buffer to the language center of both of our brains. That is why they must be the same filament. They will be quantumly linked and reflect the same pattern buffer. What I actually heard was navigate, neuron, reflect, but the images and senses Z was sending filled in the details. I nodded. Yes, do this. It hurt, but really, everything does, so it wasn't that bad. It was remarkably useful. Mariah stayed on autopilot for half a day while we slept off the feeling of having a new language growing in our respective heads, but I needed a vacation anyway. Months and months alone in space, and now I had not one passenger friend, but soon to be two, and a lovely new language ability. My cup runneth over, I thought, a little sourly. Speed in the deeps, for being so young, was a remarkable pilot. Z couldn't handle the weapons or the human life support systems, obviously, as they were completely manual and built by an alien culture. But when Z flew, Mariah leapt like a living thing. I think I'm jealous. I sighed a little mournfully. God damn it, can't I just have one thing, universe? Just one thing to be the best at? Fuck my life. Hadar Orbital, like all space stations, twined around its sun like a fat, flat vine and passively collected huge amounts of radiation. It framed two-thirds of its parent star in a framework of metal and mirrors on the outer hull, while the inner hull was lit with ambient radiation all the time. The inside looked like an atrium filled with hydroponics, shops, people, life, 
The other side of the exoskeleton hull provided the docking ports. Speed in the deeps folded Mariah up like a butterfly coming to land, gracefully and perfectly, at the port with a little sigh and a soft click. Z was much better than me. It was moderately irritating. Z hadn't been too broken up when I suggested Z stay with Mariah and let me do the work on station. Yes, and why would I want to go out with all the humans to be stared at and prodded at when I can stay with my beautiful ship, ready to disappear into the great abyss at a moment's notice? Z trilled at me. I was pretty sure Z was still scared of humans. I didn't understand the details of what happened to Zer, but Z was particularly resistant to medical stations. I could sympathize. I frowned. A moment's notice, sure, but you'll let me back onto the ship prior to disappearing, right? And who said it's your ship? Z gave me that little trill that was the cat version of amusement and turned back to control the control screen. I mean it, kid. I get to go with you. You don't get to leave me here. I was pretty sure Z was joking. Pretty sure. Seriously. Z made little shooing motions. Yes, yes, Mariah is yours. We will not leave without our captain, will we, my heart? Z stroked Mariah's console. God save me from children. Cattle and ages were almost impossible for me to figure. They had no differential facial features, no external genitalia, no wrinkles, no real marks to make out, but I got the impression that Speed in the Deeps was young, very young, and a little impetuous. Not that I would know anything about that, but it did make me a little nervous to leave Zer alone, especially after Zer's last experience with humans. Z looked at me and sent a feeling of contentment and approval. Amusement spiced like cinnamon. Right, I'm worrying. Z's okay by herself. I'm the one being nervous. Bah. There was the usual shock of stepping out of Mariah's life support systems and onto a busy station. My chest plate scrubbers kicked on and my biosuit tightened to provide the standard two kilograms of pressure on my skin that my organs and blood would need to flow correctly. I felt the usual slight claustrophobia with the pressure. Each docking station had an automated access port at the airlock. I entered what cargo I had, what I would accept, and where my next flight path took me. The station master's automated systems would send little drones out to grab the mail and freight I had ready for delivery, as well as stage the inbound stuff for my pickup. Speed in the Deeps had promised to make those appointments and run the transfers by hand without using the neural AI interface and without exposing herself. Z hadn't done it before, though. We had practiced it. I must be getting old. I keep worrying for nothing. A feather-light touch of cinnamon in my mind told me Speed in the Deeps was monitoring me, and fine. Relax, Auntie, Z sent, teasing. Your kit is in the nest and safe. All will go as practiced. Children. <laughs> Stay in the ship, I sent back to her. Do not answer the radio. I will be back soon. Do not leave without me, I thought back, frowning with focus. I couldn't send very well though I'm sure Z heard me. A whiff of cinnamon was all I got back. I couldn't prove it, but I was fairly sure Z was laughing at me. If the cats laugh. I had been very lucky so far. Either the service didn't care about me anymore, or Mac's new identity matrix was better than I'd thought. I kept waiting for the moment when some faceless black shadow would step into my path and say something suitably melodramatic, like, Akasha Singh, we've been looking for you. Maybe the tightness in my chest wasn't the biosuit pressure after all. 
I needed agar, a new GAC unit, and a new catalytic converter for our energy recovery system. And I had a date with our new passenger. I planned to look him over someplace other than my beautiful ship to make sure he didn't have axe murderer tattooed on his forehead. One can never be too careful. The station master's hall was big enough for meetings like this. There was a bar and, bar and barracks for a cheap bunk and enough security to make people be nice to each other for at least a little while. I was early. I caught a booth near the bar and let my head fall back onto padded cushions. Exhaustion. I couldn't shake it. Ever since the Explorer incident, it was like I was slowly bleeding from an open wound. Breathing cost effort. Even looking in the mirror hurt as I saw the ruins of my face and body. So tired. A kid came up to ask what I wanted. In this state, alcohol would probably turn me comatose, and I didn't like drinking anyway. My brain is so fucked up when I'm sober, I don't need anything to make it worse. I waved him off with a request for hot tea. He looked at me like I was nuts. Move along, little boy. Bring the nice lady her tea. Let's get this over with. Movement at the door made me glance toward the entrance. A long, lanky frame was paused at the gate talking to a waiter. Broad shoulders and strong, those softened with age, blonde hair gone silver, hooked nose, bent as if it had been broken, bronzed, slightly blue, weathered skin from decades of exposure to cosmic radiation. Holy fuck. My throat closed. He was stooped slightly, as if unsure whether to come in. He looked timid, vulnerable. Two things he had never displayed before. For a moment, I was 25 and in love. I missed him and hated him and needed him with a terrifying intensity, and all the other old feelings came rushing back. I self-consciously looked down at my second-hand biosuit, my scarred hands, my broken face. I'm hideous, I thought, helplessly. The one man in the universe I never wanted to see again. How am I supposed to face him like this? The waiter pointed in my direction. Blue eyes met mine. Same shock. I tried to clear my throat, but he didn't move, and I couldn't talk anyway. I couldn't help it. I turned away as hot tears started to move down my cheeks. I put my hands up to cover my face and felt the water running through scarred tissue. I'm disgusting. Shut it down. Shut it down, I shouted at myself. You're making a fool of yourself deep breaths. I felt strong fingers on my wrist. He was there, touching me. My heart felt like it was ripping apart in my chest. Akasha? He whispered, kneeling in front of me. Akasha? Akasha? Are you... are you real? I nodded. His grip fell from my wrist and he pulled me close, hard. Pulled me off the bench, actually. Crushed me up against his side and the table. He was rocking me and half crying, so I couldn't hear most of what he was trying to say. Finally, though, I heard, I thought you were dead. I thought you were dead. Months, months and months, I thought they'd killed you. I managed to get one arm around his neck so I could at least breathe. And as fantastically pleasurable as it was to be wrapped up in him, finally, it also occurred to me that we were making a huge scene. Fuck him, he said against my neck. I'm not done yet. I breathed him in, sunshine on the ocean, water and driftwood wrapped in light. My heart constricted with pleasure, pain, or maybe joy, or maybe sadness, or 
Feeling too much and hurting too much, I shut my brain off and just held on. When we both had a moment, he sat down, never taking his eyes off me. I can't believe it. AJ said someone named Zeta would be picking me up. I made a weak flourish at myself. Ta-da! Zeta, at your service. All of this felt wrong. Part of me wanted to see him. Part of me wanted to run away. I could feel him in my head, terrifyingly strong and wild, like speed in the deeps, but with raw and sharp edges that seemed to cut at my mind. Why are you taking private transport anyway, I asked. I looked at the table, anywhere but at him. Big shit like big shot like you should be on a regular transport, service transport. He sighed. I could feel a wave of exhaustion roll off at off him at whatever he was thinking. Oh, Kasha, if it was anyone other than you. I waited. He didn't say anything. Oh, it started to dawn on me. I leaned in closer and hissed in a whisper. You're sick? You mean that plague bullshit on the subspace is real? He looked around briefly and gave a tiny nod. Elise is pretty sure it's not contagious. Exactly. But the only way I could go official was to get a med clearance, and obviously... He swallowed. Obviously she couldn't give me one. Michael. I stopped. It looks the same as yours, he said, almost haltingly. And you survived, at Nightingale. He shrugged. Maybe they can help me, too. I felt something cold migrate in my guts. My what? Your, your sickness from your med records, from Rigel, when we sent you off. What? He looked confused. Don't you remember, we didn't send you off-world because of the accident. It was the thing fucking up your DNA. It was just eating you from the inside out. I don't know how to describe it. He let his head sag a little. Whatever it was, mine looks almost identical. Michael. I stopped. There were no words. I didn't know what to say. He smiled at me, as if pretending not to notice, and held my hands. Kasha, I never thought I'd get to see you again. We have so much to catch up on. My brain felt like it was on fire. At some point, we made it back to the Mariah. I felt awkward and ugly. Without him talking to me, it was just awful and uncomfortable to even be around him. I abandoned him with speed in the deeps on the excuse that I had to get his quarters ready. But I had them ready. I'm a professional, after all, and he was the passenger AJ had booked us for. I really just wanted to hide. He seemed perfectly happy about the whole thing. Evidently, me not being dead was so wonderful that he didn't care about what came next or all the awkwardness or, or what was waiting for him on Nightingale. Somehow, I don't think he's going to find any answers there. God, I'm disgusting. So cold. I sat on his bunk and pretended to do useful things so I wouldn't have to face him. The occasional bursts of masculine laughter from the control room irritated me. All right, I thought to myself. Tone down the crazy, just a little here. Take a deep breath. Jesus. Singularities. Singularities are challenging to define and often disruptive to models and equations. 
These disruptions can cause catastrophic failures in complex and hybrid modeling systems, mathematical insights, and practical applications. Terra First, Solaris Orbital. Terrorists today broke into General Shio Ido's personal quarters attempting to hack into internal security feeds and remove confidential data. At least three persons were detained by peacekeepers and one was killed attempting to escape. There is no word on the total number of insurgents involved or if any data was compromised. At this time, we have no information on the perpetrators or on what data they were trying to secure. We can assure you that they were prevented from obtaining any classified and privileged data that it, and, and that a full investigation into their origins and plans will be initiated, said Major Adam Serge, Public Relations Officer for General Shio Ido's office. We are cooperating fully with local law enforcement and will notify the public of any pertinent updates as that investigation progresses. When questioned on the office's use of force resulting in the death of a citizen, Major Sergei responded, All citizens forfeit their right for protection under the law once they choose to break it. Raising arms against service members is threat enough. We were justified in our use of force. Subasa Gayong reporting. I didn't need to worry about Michael's quarters, and I didn't need to worry about my scars. He didn't notice, or didn't care. Same difference. How long until we get to Nightingale, he asked. It was too early for us to get up, and I was enjoying the sensation of having my head on his chest, listening to the rumble in his voice. Mm, it's nice. It's nice not to be alone. Hey, he poked me. Focus up here. I kept my eyes closed. Kasha, I'm asking you a serious question. I don't care, I thought. He chuckled as if he heard me. I was just reveling in the sensation of having another person touching me, just because they wanted to. I hadn't been touched in what felt like decades, at least excluding communication requirements with the cats, and he had to go ruin it with his talking. Bah humbug. I could feel him smiling. I liked this, his hands making little patterns on my skin, tracing scars long forgotten or never known, soothing little circles that made me feel pretty and pampered. Jesus, I'm ridiculous. He laughed and snuggled me closer. Quit snooping in my head, I thought at him. I tried to be mad about it, but I couldn't quite muster up something legit. He didn't pay any attention to me. Seriously, Kasha, when are we getting to Nightingale? I shifted away from his chest so I could look at him as he talked. Two weeks, give or take. I leaned into the pillow so I could get a better view of him. So pretty. Silver hair, lean features, those deep blue eyes. How can he stand looking at me when he's so... He frowned at me. Stop that. Why are you so hung up on physical appearance all of a sudden? Oh, I don't know, I said. After I got barbecued, I suddenly found myself to be shallow and materialistic, I shot back at him. Come on, look at me. You're telling me you honestly don't notice? I motioned to the complex of scars on my abdomen and the ruin of my face. The years making me soft where there used to be hard muscles and an odd blue-tinged tan from cosmic radiation exposure. I kind of stand out in a crowd. It occurred to me that maybe why no one had found me yet. My old face was buried under a hideous new one. He softened immediately and stroked a palm over my cheek. I don't care, Kasha. 
I get to be with you again. It's enough. For a little while, at least. Something about that seemed wrong. Odd. I stared into those deep blue eyes. My spidey sense was tingling. How are you feeling, Michael? He closed his eyes against me and made a little shrugging motion. What is it? He took my hand in both of his big ones and ignored me. Michael, I paused. I don't think you're going to find a lot of help on Nightingale. He looked at me. But you're alive. They helped you. I am alive, that is true. I couldn't disagree. I just don't know what they did, if they did anything. Well, it's the only option, Kasha. There's no one else has any other success or even know what to do. Okay. I settled back away from him, feeling a gulf start to open between us. I won't argue with you, but there has to be something they can do. He brought his hands up in front of his face as if he'd never seen them before. Kasha, my insides are unstable. I can hear thoughts. I can grow skin where there shouldn't be skin. I can generate electricity with my fingers. There are holes in my brain, scaly lesions. I inhaled sharply, a sudden memory. Lutrin bent over me with a white swab. Open wide, my little bird. One more test. <laughs> Disturbing. So, I asked, what does that actually mean? What did Elise say? He was looking at me intently. Nothing. She told me nothing. No one seems to know what to do. Kasha, you're the only one that's managed to survive this, and we all thought you died on Explorer. Do you, do you remember anything about the testing, the enhancements they gave you at the Academy, the treatments on Nightingale, anything? I shrugged. All those memories could stay dead for all I cared. I don't remember much. A bit here and there, I guess. Random faces, twisted in pain, boxed into a tiny room, dozens of people all screaming or shouting. The smell of fear, stale sweat turning bitter in my throat. The gasping pain of heat stroke as I bent under the sun, freezing cold even as sweat poured off my nose, watching the world turn white and shivering. The smell of the marching plane at dawn and the way the mist rolled through gray walls just before the sun came up. The dark coldness of a winter's night walking back to the barracks, alone but seeing the twinkling lights shining like little stars. Sitting in the snow, crying at midnight, begging for a non-existent god to kill me with two big boots biting blisters into my toes. The feel of frostbite and an M240 Bravo under my chin, shivering in a forest somewhere. I shoved all those images away. Some random stuff. Nothing in particular about testing or genes. He narrowed his eyes. You have to remember some of it. They did surgeries. They put you through a ton of scenario exposures. This would have been your first or second year. I remembered Lutrin, but that was before the Academy. Or was it? Or was it after? It doesn't matter. It all runs together anyway. I don't remember. He sighed. So here's the thing. I've been losing things. Memories, context, time, you know. He looked down at his fingers. They were nicked and almost bony. Sometimes I forget who I am or what I was supposed to be doing. 
more scary sometimes I lose myself and other people. He stopped. You know I've been able to do the whole... He waved his hand randomly at his head. Spooky, telepathic thing since Rigel. But before, it's always felt like someone talking to me. I can still tell it's not my thought. Now I can't tell me from them. Confused memories and identities that I think are mine until they disappear and I'm me again. He sighed long and deep. Obviously, the service couldn't have their commander go all schizo on them. I sat in front of him with my hands on his. Oh, Michael, I'm so sorry. But you, you made it through after Nightingale. They could use the same technique to stabilize me. Elise seems to think that the mods they gave us at the Academy, combined with a lifetime of cosmic radiation exposure, can cause rapid degradation and multiple systems failures after about 20 years or so. Ah, I thought. This is my future. I wonder why I'm not dead already. He nodded unhappily. And with your unique talents, I can't imagine it's going to be good for anybody if you finally break. Sure, if Michael went schizo, what would I do? Create a black hole in the middle of Hadar? How long do I even have? Michael was sick. No, more than sick. Dying. I could feel it coiled around him, sickly sweet and sticky. One day he woke up shouting and threw me out of bed, calling for security. Another, he forgot where the dining hall was and just ended up drifting through the halls, crying to himself. Just goes to show there is no real happiness. Every day got a little worse. Thoughts, memories slipped away from him, his personality slipping away. Sand through a sieve. Hold still, honey. I held him down as lightly as possible as the AI tried to press a swab into his mouth. It's just a cotton ball. You're fine. No! He tried to throw me off him. I struggled to bring him back down. He was so thin. You're one of Ido's people. You've come to take me away. He kicked back out, knocking equipment and machinery back. Easy, easy, honey, easy. I made soothing noises and released him before he hurt himself, standing in front of him with my hands out, just like soothing a wild animal. Michael, remember leaving Hadar? Remember coming with me? We're on our way to Nightingale. He seemed to come back a little to himself at Nightingale. Yes, he mumbled to himself and came back to the AI table. Nightingale, yes, that's right. We're going to Nightingale. I sighed, took the swab myself, and popped the cotton into the receptacle. One DNA sequencing test coming up. It was gibberish. I couldn't read the damn thing. I was never good at genetics anyway. Speedy helped me tie him to the med table. Just let us get there. Please, just let us get there before... I looked back at him, shaking on the table, crying as his inside slowly stopped working. This morning had been a bad one. Speedy had locked herself in her room and refused to come out. I could feel it in the EM field tingling every time I went past, so presumably Z was not interested in experiencing Michael's breakdown one-on-one -on -one again. He wouldn't stop screaming. He kept shouting about being burned and wouldn't let me touch him. I finally locked him in his cabin and went to pilot Mariah. One small thing I could do, at least. One more day to Nightingale. Please, God, shut him up.
Nightingale looked smaller than I had remembered, more like a pimple than a medical compound. Michael was completely incoherent now. I had the sinking sensation that I was speeding up his damage. He seemed to be trapped in my memories. Reality and memory were blurred. He couldn't tell the difference. He'd finally lost his voice last night. He wasn't eating or sleeping. Defecating on himself in mindless terror, though? Yes. Speedy was in almost as bad of a shape as Z couldn't stop the telepathic link with him. We finally worked up a closet in the cargo bay for Zur, lead-lined and EM-shielded. Z could at least sleep without feeling Michael's terror. Nightingale 1, this is Mariah, CS34169, requesting docking authorization. We have a medical emergency. I repeat, medical emergency. One casualty requiring immediate assistance. Roger that, Mariah. Bay 4 is clear for docking. Please prepare to receive medical team upon landing. Understood, Nightingale 1. We'll comply. Out. I disengaged from the pilot link and stumbled to Michael's room. He had barricaded himself behind the bed. The room was filthy. He was disgusting, starved, huddled under his makeshift fort, surprisingly childlike. I peeked around the sheets, trying to think of non-threatening, gentle things. Hi, sweetie, I cooed to him. You ready to come out? We just landed at Nightingale. No response. He shifted away from me. He was too big, and I would ne be, never be able to pull him out like this. I sighed. Frustration, guilt, rage, and the whole unfairness of it all struck me in a flash. Savagely, I grabbed his leg and ripped his mind into a new pattern, just slammed a command into his neurons. Sleep. Just go to sleep. He went still, as if I'd struck him. Oh, fuck me. I looked down on him, disgusted with myself. What kind of monster am I? My significant other needs me, and I'm too selfish to love him now that he's sick? So selfish that all I want for him is to go away? God, I'm disgusting. Fuck. I pulled him onto the bed and went to cycle the airlock for the emergency crew. It was days before I could see him again. Speedy came back to Zer quarters. We resupplied the ship, collected some packages, and waited. I wanted to leave, but felt too guilty. Running away sounds really nice right about now, though. It was too much, too unfair, and too fast. So, the universe seemed to say, I'll give you back the one good thing you had in your life, but I'll warp it so much you won't want it anymore. Irony, anyone? Good luck with that. I got a call from one of the docks on day three that Michael was up for visitors and that I was the closest thing to next of kin that he had. Responsibility sat on my chest with a thud. I hate hospitals. I hate the way they smell and how they're always too bright and the hallways are too clean. The chairs that are intentionally as uncomfortable as possible. I hate the way you wait, cold and alone, for someone to tell you what's going on, brutally and in as little time as possible. I hate the way the coffee always tastes burned and the waiting rooms all have some bullshit, peaceful artwork that just ends up looking ugly and dehumanizing. I sat there, seething, closing my eyes so I wouldn't have to look at the awful pastel paintings, and waited. I woke up someplace new. I couldn't see right. Everything was fuzzy, blurred, out of focus. Colored lights above me shot three-pointed lasers into my blurred eyes. Monitoring lights had the room in a muted, harsh whitewash. 
I looked down to see my arm covered in IVs and tape. The tape and needles itched and pinched. Reaching to scratch, I realized my wrists and ankles were tied down. Cold, nauseating claustrophobia rose up in my throat. Hello? I shouted into the dark. Is anyone there? I was freezing. The thin blanket someone had laid over me wasn't nearly enough, and the shivering pulled at the needles uncomfortably. Hello? I tried again, but there was no answer. I took a deep breath. Calm. I made myself go very, very still. My left restraint was looser than the right. I gently twisted and pulled over and over again. Wiggle, brace the contraption against my leg. Wiggle, pull, repeat. Free. Out came the needles from my right arm with a painful pinch, and off came the restraints. Freedom. A moment of elation was followed by the crushing confusion. Where am I? What's going on? I recognized my hands. I knew them. I knew my skin. But where was I? Was I supposed to be somewhere? Where do I go now? I stumbled out to the hallway, turned left, and started shuffling. I still couldn't focus my eyes, and I had trouble moving my legs in sync to walk. In fact, I kept getting dizzier and more disoriented. My shuffling stopped. I frowned down at my legs, vaguely noting that I was swaying side to side. I couldn't seem to remember how to walk anymore. Then, from behind me, Oi! Hey, you can't be up and walking! I tried to turn around, but suddenly I was hovering above and behind my body, and there was a roaring in my ears. I watched myself fall and smack my head with a wet crack against the empty white floors dispassionately. I didn't feel a thing. I opened my eyes. Ah, yes, my first visit to Nightingale, after Rigel. Man, I spent a lot of time unconscious. That can't be good for me. I fucking hate hospitals. The little nurse ushered me into Michael's room. He was awake and lucid, but he'd aged 20 years in a few days. His face was all wrinkled. Eyes, instead of their deep sapphire colors, were a washed-out gray. His skin was loose and yellow. He rasped when he breathed. Hey, I said, going to sit next to him. Hey. Awkward silence. What do you say to a dying man, I thought. And I could feel him dying. The pattern was disintegrating. It's okay, you know, he started. For you to feel uncomfortable. He motioned to himself wryly. I'm not exactly at my best right now. I smiled briefly. You can't lie to a telepath, I thought. He chuckled, forcing a racking cough that carried blood at the end. I laid my head on my arms, resting on the side of his bed, and cried. For him, for me, both of us, I don't know. Speedy and I left that night. A note from Nightingale two days later said he was dead. Fuck. Why does everything have to hurt so much? Section 4 we are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world. Speak or act with an impure mind and trouble will follow you as the wheel follows the ox that draws the cart. We are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world. The Dhammapada. <laughs>